the return to in-person hearings as part of our Zoom Divorce for Clients and the Modern Lawyer series. Russell, Rick, and Jason will be sharing their insights on the following topics. The Zoom Divorce Hearing, Presumption Guidelines and Their Implications, Judicial Regions and Different Approaches, the Importance of In-Person Hearings, the Pros and Cons of Virtual Hearings, Planning for Bumps in the Road, Zoom Divorce Tips and Tricks, Case Lines in the Divorce Act Changes, and the courts return to normal. And for those of you who are in the legal community, we would like to note that this program has been accredited by the Law Society of Ontario for one hour of professionalism content, so it can be used towards your CPD hours. So without further ado, it's now my pl pleasure to introduce Russell Alexander, Rick Batika, and Jason uh, Eisenberg from Russell Alexander Collaborative Family Lawyers. So first off, we have Rick, who is an associate lawyer at our firm and brings over 14 years of family law experience. Rick focuses on all aspects of family and matrimonial law by supporting his clients in resolving matters. He fosters strong relationships with his clients that are built on trust and transparency. Jason is an associate lawyer at our firm with over 20 years of legal experience. Jason excels at helping his clients reach resolutions in their family law issues and finds it very rewarding being a family lawyer as it gives him the opportunity to support people in moving forward to start the next chapter of their lives. Through his many years of experience, Jason has been praised for his hard work in providing a personal touch with his clients and has become known for his patience and attention. Russell is the founder and senior partner of Russell Alexander Collaborative Family Lawyers. With over 20 years of experience, Russell offers a wealth of knowledge and expertise in collaborative family law. He uses his experience with a client-focused approach by creating unique solutions for each of his clients to enable them and their families to move forward with their lives in a compassionate and collaborative manner. So now that you know a little bit more about our panelists and what we have on the agenda today, I'm going to pass things over to Russell. Thank you for those kind words, Shannon. So let's run our first poll. And um, what is your reason for joining us today? So this will give us a sense of who the audience is uh, going through separation, divorce, legal, professional, other professional, helping a friend or loved one. Let's see who our audience is today. Um, what do we got? So 16% going through separation and divorce. 64% legal professional, what you're going to like the, what we talk about in terms of practice directions. Other professional, 12% want to learn more, five. Other, 3%, you can put that into the Q&A. So first out of the bat, the Zoom divorce hearing. Now we've gone through the pandemic for two years. Zoom divorce is like Skype, it's an electronic way to attend to your court hearing uh, from the safety and privacy of your own office or your own home. In terms, and now we're, we've got practice direction from the Chief Justice in April directing us, well, setting out presumptions, which we're going to talk about. Basically, they want to bring us back to court for certain types of hearings. It's going to be hybrid, so we're still going to have Zoom divorce in some fashion. Maybe not the fully remote system that we had previously, unless we go into another lockdown or we get another variant. And then we're going to be going back to these um, tools. And, and it's important to be mindful of certain things. I think a good tip is to run a mock Zoom hearing before you do your Zoom court hearing. You could do that with a clerk or a client, or just do it uh, with a friend. Get familiar with the technology. Have be, you're going to need technology that has a video. You want your camera on. If you're counsel, you need to consider whether or not you're going to need an interpreter at your hearing and arrange for that in advance. Otherwise, your hearing is going to get, um, get adjourned. Uh, be mindful of how the court's prepared to receive your documents, whether it's through case lines, which we're going to talk about today. Some judges and there's, require us to also email them the documents. Uh, every court is different. They may require us to start filing documents for these hearings now as well. Each region has its own nuances, so you want to be mindful, okay, I'm going to this particular region, perhaps the Central East region. I know this case conference judge said I only want a 17F and um, a one-page summary. That's just one example of how varied uh, the documents required for a Zoom hearing can be. Also be mindful of the breakout rooms. Uh, these can be very effective when you're having your Zoom hearing. 
the court registrar has the ability to set up breakout rooms so you can get that you know in hallway feel or negotiation if you need to talk to counsel after receiving a recommendation or maybe even just confirm your client's instructions and see if you can make a deal that day you can go into a breakout room most courts are very accommodating if you're able to come up with a consent, you return back before the judge and they'll give you an endorsement to reflect what you negotiated. Very effective way to use Zoom hearings. So that's, that's just an introduction. We're gonna get into this much deeper. So let's go to our second poll and then we're gonna get into some real nuts and bolts. So since April, have you or your client attended an in-person family court hearing? Uh, that could be a conference, a motion, the presumptive guidelines now set out for certain types of in-person hearings presumptively. Uh, some judges uh, in Brampton are taking it very strictly. Other judges, if you've been remote, they want you to continue remote. Other jurisdictions are saying, well, maybe September we'll start this up. So it'll be interesting to find out from our audience, most of them are legal professionals, have you been back to court since April uh, for an in-person hearing? And um, your choices are, yes, it was a great experience. Yes, it was terrible. No, but I'm looking forward to it. I know a lot of colleagues love going to court, love bantering with their other lawyers, getting the gossip from the judges. You know, that was a big part of the legal tradition prior to the pandemic. Uh, no, but I'm looking forward or other. And you can share your comments through the Q&A. Um, so let's see what our poll results are. So 13% said it was a great experience. 8% uh, said it was terrible. No, but looking forward to it, 25%. I think there's a certain section of the bar that would agree with that. No, and I'm not looking forward to it. I think that's the majority answer at 45%. A lot of lawyers are concerned still with lingering health risks from the pandemic. Uh, they may have underlying health conditions or their family may have underlying health conditions or they just don't want to blow off six hours going to court when they can do it in 45 minutes or an hour from their office um, and other nine percent so it'll be interesting to see what those other ones are but let's go into um, the presumptive guidelines so jason what are we talking about here when we're talking about presumptive guidelines well, I mean, there are two levels of court in the province, Superior Court and, and maybe Ontario Court, Superior and Higher Court. I'm going to talk mostly about that. Um, I mean, there's several modes of appearance. Um, what we've got is virtual, and that's what we've kind of been doing since March of 2020. Um, everyone appears um, you know, in some form of virtual. Um, some court dates will still continue that way, it would seem. Um, there's, there's the hybrid, which is some people will be in person. Um, and some people be virtual. Um, that's available um, and uh, is something that uh, I guess could be used uh, in the future. Um, you know, that that's something that um, is not what we've been doing since March 2020 and is a, a new thing. Um, then there's in-person, which of course is something that um, we did before the pandemic and uh, from the polls we've already gone back to doing and some jurisdictions have insisted that that start already. Um, Video conference or audio conference was something else they proposed. Um, you know, this is connecting the court by video or connecting the court by audio only. Um, again, that's something that, um, you know, and, and, and again, the teleconference they've proposed too. These are things that were available before the pandemic, so they're not new. Um, they're things that we did already. Um, sometimes judges would say, let's just do a telephone call. And, uh, um, you know, there were people that couldn't make it in. They were out of country or out of province. So uh, some of these modes and methods are not anything new. They're just something that we're going to possibly be reintroducing um, instead of the, the Zoom aspect of, of work. Let's touch upon that. We're hearing, you know, from judges, mixed lists are not doable, right? Well, we've had mixed lists for years prior to the pandemic. Uh, we would have a full court list in person. The judge would break, go in the chambers, either do a conference call or a Zoom call. Uh, how, I don't know, how is this all of a sudden not doable when we've been doing it successfully prior to the pandemic? What do you think? 
I think it is. I mean, it, it, it's kind of funny when I was doing some research for this, I was looking at practice directions from years ago and one from 2015, where there was a pilot project that, that you could do virtual conferences in multiple locations in the province. Um, and uh, that was before the pandemic was even a thought in 2015. So, you know, they, they were moving towards uh, some court, you know, not, not a lot, maybe five or six in the whole province, but go there, do your virtual appearance for any other court in that area, like Oshawa for Central East and, you know, Belleville for East. So like, ever, you know, this was a concept before we ever had a pandemic and uh, just, you know, and we'll talk about it later, but and we talked about it already, access to justice saying, don't have to drive here, drive there. Let's do it all virtually and, uh, and make, uh, uh, you know, make it work um, if we have to. And the pandemic just brought that to the fore, really. But, what, you know, the flavor of the day from some judges is, you know, it's not doable. You know, pre-pandemic, I would do 10 cases. Now with Zoom, I'm only doing four cases a day. It's creating a bottleneck. You know, these are the arguments we're getting from the bench, but it seems a lot more efficient doing it electronically. That's been my experience. What's your take here, Rick? I agree with you, Russ. I it does it does appear to be more efficient though because particularly when you're you're on a hearing whether it's a motion or a conference and you're booked for an hour particularly if it's a short motion the judges basically say oh, you know uh by the end of the hour when the hour is up look i, I need to get on to my next case and yeah. so it comes across that it is more efficient so I, i'm not sure how unanimous that is across all judges that it's an efficient uh there's not, there, I haven't found any data to s- suggest that, you know, uh, how many how many judges are, are are saying that it's more efficient than the ones that are saying that it's not an efficient. There seems to be a, a longing for the days of open lists, right? You have 20 motions set for 9.30. I'll do the consent matters first. The rest of you go in the hallway and work at eight, right? And come see me in the afternoon. You know, that, that seems to be a bygone era, right? That's not a way to distribute or administer justice because these clients run out of money after two of these hearings that last seven hours and it's adjourned. I think the client's money goes a lot further if they know the hearing's one hour. They can keep counsel involved throughout the case or even to the end and improve access to justice. Uh, but it sounds like I'm getting on a soapbox here, so I'm going to be quiet and let Jason go on. Sorry about that, Jason. You're getting some information for what I'm talking about later. Um, but anyway, I, I, th- I think, you know, further what you're saying there, efficiency or not, um, I've found that these uh, virtual conferences, if they're less on, you might have to wait longer to get one. And, and I can understand that. And I think that's a problem. But when you get one, I found them to be extraordinarily more useful than having seven or eight on and uh, a judge saying, I've got 15 minutes for you. What do you. What's the most important issue? And I'll talk about that one. When they've got three a day, they can focus on all three. So I'm finding that I get better, I get better. What you're really looking for is judicial opinion that day. You're getting a better opinion. I'm getting more, you know, more time with the judge. Um, making that conference useful instead of my client looking at me at the end of the 15 minute one and saying, what was that all about? Because it's stressful. You get prepared, you spend a lot of money. You're like hoping you get some resolution, some help that day. And if it's 15 minutes of a judge's time and they're rushing you out of there, you don't feel like you got any um, any value for what you did. And I feel that these virtual conferences was real value. At least they were at the start and still continue. Yes, you're waiting longer for them, but that was a problem in some jurisdictions even pre-COVID. Yeah. Um, Moving on, these uh, mode of appearance and whether or not the uh, in-person or not. um, Basically, we're looking at, I think, different ideas of what the court date's about and why the court said they should be in-person or not. Um, Really, it hinges on, I think, whether there's a settlement element to it or not, um, and whether there's a decision to be made or not. And the items where there's a settlement element, they're saying, come in person. Come in person, I mean, even some local areas are saying, you know, we normally do um, a court date where we're um, scheduling trial, but we still talk settlement. So we want you to come in person for that. Where other jurisdictions are like, no, we, it's mostly about setting the matter for trial. We don't need in person for that. So I think that, that that element is there. I think the belief is, is that if everyone's in the same place at the same time, you catch lightning in a bottle. So if you're going to be coming in 
where settlements discussed, like the case conference, like the settlement conference, it's in person. So we have you all in the same place and you can't leave until you get a settlement kind of idea or you hope you get a settlement. Um, but matters where there's not gonna be a settlement element, virtual. Um, matters where you're gonna make a decision, like a trial, like a long motion. Um, short, the shorter motions, the one hours they're saying, uh, you know, can be done um, uh, virtually. But at the end of the day, I think if the judge is gonna be possibly taking a lot of questions, um, uh, you know, ask or ask a lot of questions, taking a lot of documents, like at a hearing, that's where they're saying, okay, let's do it all um, in person as opposed to virtual. Um, so it seems to be that that's, I think, where we hinge on whether it's in person or not. And, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, that makes sense. I don't know the data, but maybe matters were settling less when they were being done virtually at the conference stage, settlement conference, case conference, and they were settling more when it was in person. And that's where they decided to, to draw the line. All right. Thank you for that. Um, well, the only thing I should add, Russ, sorry, yeah. I don't know. But, um, there are people that still say, despite this uh, element of, uh, of, of in-person or not, there's a form um, that we're showing right now. You can make a request. You can say, I'd like to uh, have my matter virtual, even though it's supposed to be in-person. I love my matter in-person, I guess it's supposed to be virtual. Um, you know, the form and looking at it, I'm not going to fill one out. I know Rick has had to fill one out. I've not made this request yet, but it would seem to me that it has the information a judge requires to make this decision. Um, the feeling I'm getting is that they're not going to change their mind about this. You really need to give them a compelling reason to move an in-person matter to virtual, as an example. Um, and I think one, what they're really looking for is why that proposed method, that virtual versus in-person or in-person versus virtual, is necessary in the interest of justice. You interpret that any way you want to. That's what we're looking at, looking at the greater good, the bigger idea, the bigger picture. Why is this necessary to be done this way or that way? Um, I would also recommend, I haven't filled the form up, but from what I'm seeing, discuss this with the other side first. See if they consent, see if they oppose. That's going to be relevant to that judge if they do. So when looking at this form, um, it's a good tool. It's brief. It's one page. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, there's some information there to fill in. And uh, if you don't fill it in uh, with a compelling reason, I don't think, I think you're wasting your time. That's what it sounds like. We'll let Rick talk about the form in a sec. Sorry, but it's almost a hardship kind of argument. You know, if it's in, if it's an inconvenient driver expense, it's not enough. I've I've seen cases where counsel have consented, uh, and they've said no. Uh, in one case, counsel had COVID, and they said no. They adjourned it for two weeks. They could come back in person. Uh, other regions, uh, they want it to be <laughs> remote. If you're if you're started your case remotely, you're going to continue remotely. And so I think in, depending where you are in the province, you're probably not going to go back in person until 2023 at the earliest, uh, even maybe even later than that. But Rick, uh, this is a really good uh, resource you've added. Tell us about your form. Well, we this is a form that actually was uh, presented to me by another lawyer who on one of my cases, who lives four to six hours north. Uh, the case is in Tri-County and they're they're and it's for it was for it's for the uh, first case conference so tri-county that's the central east region right that's yeah yeah that's correct and and, and effectively their argument is look um with with gas at over two dollars a liter and this is the first case conference and much of it they probably foresee is going to be disclosure related issues can we have a virtual case conference it's just it's just the expense of traveling back and forth i mean from an you know just the travel alone they said it was probably about three to four hours one way um and that's going to add up and i think that's going to be a problem for their clients so um it's it's it, the access to justice issue is really financial and it's financial in its roots um and this is a prime example of when you're going to going to a, a first case conference, it's not settlement ready. Um, and it's really primarily about disclosure. And the other side is saying, look, uh, my client only earns X amount of dollars. It would really help them to uh, further their case and in their interests of justice, what they consider justice for the attendance to be virtual. Yeah, you know, go ahead, Jason. 
I was going to say the judge would probably say, then don't make your case conference about disclosure or get that ahead of time, um, which works sometimes when you've got cooperation, doesn't work other times, but they would say you can remedy that. Like is planning, planning will always remedy those problems, right? Is what they're going to say. And, and that's not a compelling reason. Um, they want the case conference to be more useful. So they would tell you just bring a 14B motion for disclosure well in advance of your conference if you can't get cooperation. I think Rick's touching upon a bigger issue here. I think there's a disconnect uh, with some judges and the public in terms of access to justice. You know, this inflation is a serious problem and we might be heading for a really significant recession and possibly stagflation that we haven't seen in 40 years. Um, some people, you know, paying an extra hundred dollars for gas that particular week means other things are going to have to get cut, right? Their groceries or heating or what. You know, this is a real problem for many families in Ontario. And if we look at that quote we started off with, say, oh, wow, well, hire a local lawyer. Some people don't want to hire a local lawyer, right? They want to bring in somebody from out of town or somebody they feel who's going to be more independent. So, you know, I think you've really touched upon something here. And we're seeing cases where the forms filled out is on consent and they're still ordered to go back in person. It's almost seems punitive at that point. What do you think, Rick? Uh, I agree. I, I mean, we have yet to receive the response on, on the, the case that I'm referring to from the court as to whether a request from the other lawyer is going to be accepted. But uh, in a way I can relate because when I, uh, I can understand where the other side is coming. It is quite a drive um, uh, for their clients in, the, in right. this case here, given their income level and the cost. And even that's a, Jason's point about planning ahead, even if it's just a disclosure issue, but just if, if you have the disclosure and you just want a judicial opinion at the first case conference, I, I think that lawyer would would argue that you can you can get that at a virtual. You don't need to necessarily be there in person, face to face with the judge. The case is not ready to be settled. You can still get the judicial opinion on how to move forward on the next steps, even if you have the disclosure in hand. I think we're going to see more and more counsel using these presumptions as uh, strategic decisions. Right? I know this person has a lawyer out of town. I'm going to say no to consenting to remote for a simple motion. Require, you know, somebody from, say, you know, Oshawa or Peterborough to drive to Windsor for a 45 minute motion and back. You know, they're strategically trying to cause the other party to go self rep, which I think is improper, right? You know, I think there should be more flexibility, especially given that. Um, some of these communities you can't readily access counsel and maybe maybe i'm wrong i don't know what's your take on that jason i agree with what you're saying but i think that you know that there's a reason why chief justice gave this direction this is what we're supposed to do and you're a judge and that's kind of like your boss and you're a boss over all of us, but you're gonna follow what your boss says, which is the stuff's in person. And unless there's a good reason, they've probably got an idea of what they're expecting. I don't know how much um, freedom they get to say, um, yeah, fine, I'll change it. Or if they've been given pretty clear instructions. I mean, uh, you know, every court is allowed to set its own rules more or less about this. We'll talk about that later. But again, like I think, you know, you've been given a direction um, what do you do? All these things are compelling, but um, uh, you know they're 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 focused on their agenda, and we're focused on a different one. Right. Well, that's a nice lead into that's a good lead into our next slide. So, we had um, our summer law students Joseph and Shenza do some research for this. So I'll take responsibility if it's not correct, but it looked pretty accurate to me. Um, so let's take a look at the regions and what council and the public need to consider. So the province of Ontario is a fairly large uh, area. So judicial regions and different approaches. So these are all the regions we have and we've broken it down further in the next slide. So when considering what your presumptive mode is in relation to Zoom divorce, we have um, 38 regional directions and three province-wide directions. 
and here's the breakdown. There's eight regions. Here's the breakdown for each region. Within regions, there's different directions for different courthouses. So within one region, I saw that they were taking the first case conference and saying all first case conferences are remote. I think that's a great idea, right? You're getting introduced to the judge. You're probably talking about disclosure issues. You might be getting some recommendations that need to marinate for a few days. Nobody's usually ready to make a decision at the first case conference. Some of them are, right? Maybe 10%, but not all of them. So that particular region said first case conferences are remote. Um, sorry, that local practice direction said remote. Within the same region, first case conference is in person, right? So now we're getting different treatment for different clients and different lawyers within regions and across the province. And even being legally trained, you still, you, it takes a bit of work to find out the correct practice direction for whatever courthouse you're going to be going to. But if you're a self-rep, this is, you know, nearly impossible to figure out uh, or understand whether or not you're following the proper practice direction. So you need to be mindful of that. Check your local practice directions. Um, I'm not going to spend much more time on this because we've got a lot more to talk about. Uh, but we're going to include all the practice directions as part of our show notes today. So we'll save you the time of having to hunt them down. We've got them listed by uh, within the eight regions and their sub-regions and uh, the three provincial-wide practice directions will be made available to you. Having said all that, there's still some importance to, um, oh, we've got, let's come back to this this quote. We talked about this at, no, go, let's get our quote on the screen here. Uh, we talked about this in our opening water cooler sessions. So this is uh, a note a superior court justice wrote to their local practice hearing saying, uh, be prepared to incur the cost of having counsel attend to that region. And if you don't like it, just hire one of the local lawyers. Um, that's the mindset we're seeing from some judges. So want to be mindful of that we'll circle back to this at the end if we have time, but it certainly gives us a flavor of somehow of somehow, sorry, of how some courts are approaching it. Having said all that, there's in-person hearings are important, right, Rick? So, well, you're about. right. You're right. Thanks, Russ. Um, look, in-person hearings were effectively the predominant method pre-pandemic, and, and really, really the, the hallmark of our, our court system. So, um, some people prefer in-person in, in uh, hearings. And I guess to Jason's point, I mean, um, if there's there's a question of whether there's a settlement aspect of it or if there's a, a hearing, uh, it may, may be more effective in that sense. In the context of a hearing, uh, in-person hearings offer more of a natural feel with, with body language, facial expression, uh, more of the nuanced communication, as they would say. Uh, and some people have criticized the use of virtual uh, hearings, uh, saying that, that it takes away from that. Um, arguably, and I, and I, I have, I, I don't want to look at finding more information that if there's a hearing and someone's wearing a, a COVID mask during the hearing, um, how that will affect the judge's uh, ability to read facial expression in that sense. Uh, someone, someone's you're in a trial and someone's wearing their COVID mask and, and they're on the stand giving evidence. Um, how's a judge going to assess facial uh, expression in that context? I think that's that's uh, a consideration about this whole key thing. Of, yeah, you know, our audience, hearings. our audience said they had been back to court since April for in-person hearings. So if you can put into the Q&A box whether you're required to be masked or if there were masks or if there were no masks, what your experience has been like. I know when I zoom into court and the judge is in court, he or she usually has the mask on as does the registrar. So put in the Q&A what your experience has been. So, you know, this idea of assessing credibility might be more difficult, I guess, Rick, if you have a mask on or if you're covered in some fashion. Well, and I, I think that goes to the point of the importance of in-person hearings is that when you look at when you're balancing this whole new reality of uh, Zoom and post-pandemic and the arguments for 
uh, virtual and the arguments against it. Um, one of the strongest arguments that uh, people have said about going back to in-person hearings is for that reason, is that it makes makes uh, reading body language a little bit easier. But uh, to, the, to the point that we were just discussed, if they're wearing a, 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 a COVID uh, mask, how is that going to affect uh, credibility? It's an interesting point. Yeah, or if they got the plexiglass barriers up and it's giving a bit of a reflection and, yeah, you know, I guess these are just learning curves that we're going to go through, I guess. So thank you for that, Rick. We haven't done a poll for a while. Let's run a poll. Um, are remote or Zoom court hearings more efficient? And uh, we've got a variety of answers up there. While we're waiting for everybody to enter their results, I've got some questions that came in in advance. So let's see if we can get through some of these. We're going to talk about case lines in a moment, but one question is, is case line used by the lawyers or as by the individuals or self reps as well? Do you know if self reps have access to case lines? I can, I can answer. I don't know if they have self, uh, they have access, but they should. Um, you know, part of its purpose is um, to share that information with everybody. So when I've had um, a matter um, that is occurring virtual, um, I've given my client access to case lines. Um, I've done some trials where uh, we've had it virtually and I've wanted my client to have access to case lines so they can see a document I want to show them as an exhibit, for example. So I would think a self rep should have access to it. I think if they're, they're given that, they should be every party's given access. Right, thank you for that, Jason. Let's see our poll results. Um, and as they're coming in, we've got some Q&A. Just leave this up for a moment, the poll results. Um, so the issue of being masked in in-person hearings, our audience are sending in some comments. Judge was masked, some counsel were masked, and some clients were masked. Um, another one coming in from Guelph, the court did not require masks and nobody wore masks. There was no one else in the largest court, large courtroom with masks on. So it's kind of all over the map, right? If you're, if you got health problems or if you're worried about catching COVID, you're going to be going into an environment with unmasked people that you don't know. You don't even know if they're vaccinated. Um, I guess that's the way it is right now. All right, um, more efficient or less efficient? Uh, are they more efficient? No, not when there's issues of credibility to decide 16%. Yes, always 18. It depends on access to technology, 24%. Saves time and expense, then yes, 35%, other um, 5%. So access to technology, and I guess the internet, you know, my experiences, you know, with impoverished clients and the public, usually there's a friend or family member or employer who can make the technology available. I think there was a recent study that showed 97% of Canadians had access to high, to uh, internet. So certainly there's some room to improve there, but interesting poll results. Thank you everybody for setting in your uh, responses. So pros and cons of virtual hearings. Uh, Jason, you want to take this one? Sure. Um, one of the pros would be that if you're able to do it from your own home or a familiar place, that's going to make you more relaxed, whether it be a conference, motion, or trial. Um, there's an efficiency, uh, no travel. Um, you have to run off on parking spots. You don't have to fight traffic you don't have to uh go to a place that's unfamiliar like i said earlier you're staying at your home it's familiar so uh you know there's an efficiency pro to this also less expensive for the client for that reason um you're not waiting for your case to be heard and paying your lawyer to sit there and, and travel there as well um effectiveness um i i you know i know the poll has what it says but i found them to be a lot more effective mm -hmm. um, especially conferences um, access to justice, um, I'll mention that as being a, a pro right now, but it's also potentially a con. Pro would be that, as I said earlier, less cost to the litigants. Um, you know, you have to look at it from both sides and, and again, not paying your lawyer, but think about the client too, right? The client um, saves that money, but 
We're talking about their own uh, life. Um, I have to take a day off work to go to court or take an hour off work to go to court. So now I just made more money instead of wasting, instead of taking a vacation day, and that's not really a vacation or a sick day or whatever the case may be and having problems with their employer. Plus, a lot of our clients, they're single parents. So if they have the kids that day, they're arranging childcare perhaps, uh, depending on time of year or how old the children are. So you don't have to worry about that. Um, you're, you're, you've got an hour. So you got to find someone to watch a child for an hour or your children for an hour or watch your children for the whole day. So there's a lot of pros there to this, to being virtual. Um, also, sorry, Jason, also victims of domestic violence, right? And for most people, there's an emotional toll to going in court. It's stressful. It's not something they're useful. And if you're a victim of domestic violence, you might have to face your abusive spouse in, in potentially a smallish courtroom or conference room. And that could be very overwhelming for a lot of people. We're waiting in a hallway for four hours while they stare at you. Yeah. Um, you know, cons? Less in-person contact. I mean, that's one issue that we have, which is that uh, the lightning in a bottle thing, as I said earlier, you get everybody yeah. in the same place at the same time and you make some magic happening. So there's less discussion. You just zoom in, zoom out and move on with your, your day, which is positive, but also a negative. Um, access to justice. We talked about technology. Um, not all, it's all created equally. So um, this idea that a virtual court is, 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 is beneficial doesn't mean the same thing to someone who doesn't have technology, doesn't have dedicated Wi-Fi or whatever the case may be. Um, you know, this is usually the most vulnerable part of our society. So, you know, are we protecting them if we do virtual hearings and they are most uncomfortable in that setting? Um, you know, uh, the court is definitely thinking about this. They've more or less said that. That's where their mind is going. Um, you know, evidence, as Rick said. Uh, if oral evidence is by video, then witnesses can communicate uh, with anyone during a trial. Um, there was a case uh, where I read about uh, Justice McGee did, um, and uh, she had a real problem with uh, um, one of the parties communicating with witnesses um, during the trial um, by phone, looking down at their phone the whole time and witnesses looking at the party moving off screen to send messages on their phones. So there's that issue if you're doing it virtually. Um, as well, PDFs. If we're doing everything with electronic documents, they can be manipulated. If it's all paper and it's there, fine, make us manipulate the PDF and print it. But at the end of the day, you know, that when you're relying on a virtual document, how reliable is that document? So, you know, I think we've had those challenges before, as I said, because uh, you could just, you know, manipulate a PDF and print it. But, you know, this, that was something else Justice McGee pointed out in her trial. Um, so I think, you know, conclusion is, Personally, I think we can manage a lot of the cons. Um, you know, lawyers can have clients be at their office if technology is not a good thing. I had a client come to my office during COVID and we did a motion. We both had to wear masks. Yeah, that was unfortunate for me to wear a mask. The judge heard me and my client was there. So the client can come to the lawyer's office uh, and do it virtually. That may work if the lawyer is comfortable with that. Um, if they don't have a lawyer and they have to do it personally, well, you know, legal aid may be available to give them dedicated Wi-Fi or, or other government places where that may be available to litigants. It's not perfect, but I guess you know, you got to weigh these pros and cons. I mean, I, I to be a doomsayer, but I think the court has weighed these pros and cons already and already made the decision and feel like the cons that I've mentioned outweigh the pros and they, they want some aspects in person. Uh, whatever that motivation may be, whatever the explanation may be, we don't really know what's going on. But, you know, that direction came down without speaking to the bar too much about it. Um, and uh, that's what we're stuck with right now, um, unless uh, something will change. Right. And there's certainly innovative ways to deal with the cons, right? We can turn the courthouses into justice hubs. You, they can still go and do the, the hearing in person if they don't have the technology. We can use public libraries. There's lots of ways to address these cons, but I, that, that's a great summary, Jason. That's, that's the, hybrid, that's the hybrid method we talked about, and someone asked a question about that, and I, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to that question because I've not had any judge consider the hybrid method, even though it's been proposed to something, but you know, that would be a hybrid. I'll show up in person, you show up virtually, and, mm -hmm. and people, we do that before. We do it with people phoning in by telephone because they lived in another country, and was, you know, judges didn't like it, but we did it. Um, we it had was, to. It was commonplace, but... Yeah. You know, we don't want to step back to 2020. I mean, we've made all these gains in efficiency and access to justice. Um, it, you know, let's keep talking because I'm just going to go on about this more well, if I, I if I'm given any. I agree. But one last point: like technology, 
it took a pandemic to bring our court system into practically the century because right. you know faxing documents you know my, my kids have no idea what a fax machine is and they're not young um so you know uh, that's a dead technology it's not going anywhere email is the way to go and that's what it took it took an e email system a pandemic to, to bring us into that element so we've we've got to take leaps forward at times so i don't yeah. know how virtual technology is, is is any different than saying let's email instead we had 200 years of paper right now just think you'd serve a document then you'd commission an affidavit then you'd serve the document serve an affidavit to serve like it's just it's insane the circle the the documents we're producing prior to the pandemic but let's do a poll because it's been a while um so what do you think the greatest risk of zoom or remote court hearings is and we've got a list of options you've heard jason talk about the pros and cons so let's see what our audience thinks let's go to a question while we're giving everybody a moment i'll throw this one at you um rick is it mandatory to have your video on or can you do audio only when you're doing one of these hearings remotely well you should have your video on uh, i guess if if you're having the video difficulty uh that may be a reason to ask the judge permission to turn your camera off but it is mandatory the judge would expect to see uh, at least to confirm that the person that they're saying that they're speaking with is is the person that they that has identified themselves to the court so yeah i think this is important right there's is still a court hearing and there's still a manner of civility and decorum expected whether or not you're in there in person or you're doing it remotely um, so the video should be on you're right we should be able to identify or if there's other people in the room influencing that particular party you know we have a link to a video where uh, a victim was testifying and the prosecutor picked up that the defendant was actually in the room intimidating the victim during the trial checked yeah. over the police arrested the defendant during the trial as he was intimidating the victim so the it, you know you need to see what's happening and the video should be on in my assessment well let's see what our audience thinks about the greatest risk all right uh, less opportunity for settlement 17 percent intimidation 13 percent deep fakes and fraud 23 percent no hallway or face-to-face -face negotiations, 27%. That's sort of Jason's lightning in the bottle analogy, right? You got a chance to make a deal. Formality of the proceeding has a smaller impact. That's sort of the power of the sash and being in front of the courtroom and the, the ceremony of the process is gone. So I think sort of evenly across the board here. Thank you everybody for sending in your answers. Um, somehow I get to speak to this one, plan for bumps in the road when you're having your remote hearing. So what are we looking at here? I think you just need to exercise uh, some common sense and be prepared. So when I'm doing mine, I let my family know. So if they need to jump into the kitchen and make a sandwich or whatever, they can do so. And I let them know when it's over too. Uh, so then they can come and go about the house. Um, I try to post a sign on the door. It seems the Amazon person comes whenever I'm online, rings the doorbell, and I exercise my dogs because once the doorbell rings, they go crazy and the whole house <laughs> explodes and the judge is wondering what the hell is going on here, right? So exercise the dogs. It's also good to get some air. Uh, put the sign on the door in case you're getting deliveries. Have a clean and tidy space. This is just common sense. Uh, have a backup plan. So this is important. If you're on the road or traveling, when you're having your own, your hearing, try to be in place where you're going to have a stable connection um, and be mindful of your power sources, right? So if you're on a laptop, your battery may die. You may need to plug in. Um, have an alternate power source, a battery backup. Build in redundant systems, right? So maybe your computer crashes so you're going to have to zoom in on your phone have some type of redundancy so you can access that hearing when it's time to go avoid public wi-fi final tip uh, do not update your zoom software uh, two minutes before the hearing is going to start because it's going to be a 15 minute update and you're going to be late and stressed out and same for your client right you may start and then your client comes in all flush and 
overwhelmed and nervous and anxious and it's, it's not going to be the same experience for the client if they're showing up 15 minutes late and the court's waiting for them. So those are just some basic tips uh, for bumps in the road and to be mindful of. The um, tips and tricks, Jason, or sorry, I guess this is your, yours, Rick. I hope I didn't steal any of your ideas. What do you got for tips and tricks? I mean, you covered a lot of them. Uh, be early, dress professionally, sit up in your chair, make eye contact with the judge. And as Rusty said before, treat this as if you're in person. Uh, it shouldn't be any different. The fact that you're looking at a computer or a camera that you're going to act differently or be differently. So you want to look professional, act professionally and, and be respectful to the court. Uh, you're still in court at that time. Uh, speak loud, speak confidently and uh, address the court politely. So I think that would and avoid multitasking. I've seen a, a couple of virtual attendances where the other side, and I think they were self rep. They're they're doing more than one thing. You've got the they, little side screen, or answering emails, or watching the YouTube video on the side. So yeah, and so avoid the multitasking. Um, but th that would be my my summary of these cases. You know, lawyers are at the pool in their bikini. One lawyer was in bed. A client was driving, you know, during a hearing. Like some of the examples we hear, are pretty out there, right? Yeah, that was early on, though. I think yeah. after after those videos went viral and everything, I think everybody kind of that was a learning curve. The cat so. filter. I'm not a cat, <laughs> Your Honor. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> For sure. All right. Um, next one. Uh, case lines and divorce act changes. So. We've literally spent hours on the Divorce Act and an hour talking about case line on different events, but let's just go through this because this is important to know if you're doing same divorces, these two things. So I think I've got you up first, Jason. Is that right? That's good. I'll talk about case lines first. Um, I think the important thing to know about case lines, I love it, um, but it, it's, it's not something that I find judges are always using. So my advice would be get prepared to use it. Um, you know, some jurisdictions where, where I predominantly practice in Central East, they don't use it for case conferences, they don't use it for settlement. So, um, but be, be ready to use it. And um, I find that it's very helpful. Um, just be clear, it doesn't replace how we serve and file documents. So um, what I've been told by judges is do not upload something to case lines until you have served and filed it. It is not a replacement for that. You still have to serve documents as you normally would. You file them as you normally would, and then you upload the case lines. You do it before, you might get the ire of a judge because the other side said I never got it. The judge said, you know, this isn't a replacement for the record I get from the court. So you might have given something to case lines and I can read it. But when I got my court file, it wasn't in here. And I haven't read it for preparation for today. So be mindful of the fact that it doesn't replace that. But once you've done all what you're supposed to do and it's there, it's a method for sharing that information in a, in a, in a way where, you know, everyone can be if done properly. You could literally draw everyone in who's on case lines to a specific page <clears throat> and say, here's what document I want you to look at, or here's a uh, uh, something I want you to read, Your Honor. And um, that's very powerful. Instead of saying, everyone, let's flip to tab two, page mm -hmm. seven, and everyone flips and it takes like 10 minutes for, you sure it's this page? It's not in my copy. It's all right there. It's all virtual. Right. So we, we skip through all of that. So for trials, for motions, extremely effective tool done properly. Because there's even a note section if you want to, where you can make your own little notes. So you've got it all on one screen and you've got, you're ready to go and you're, you're confident and nothing can mess up because it's in the cloud. So a lot of people love it. And then you do a lot of work for it. And then in my experience, it wastes of time because judges like, no, 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 just share your screen with me on Zoom. I'm, I'm not going to use it. So uh, I think get ready to use it. I think there's been a lot of money spent on this system with the court. It's going to be used eventually, get familiar with it but it's not a replacement for the continuing record, which is what you still have to prepare and, and work on. Um, one, one tip on the case lines, I remember when we talked last time, when you serve your documents, they'll send you an email saying it's been, it's been uploaded, right? And it's good to keep that email. So during yes. the hearing, if the judge says, I don't have the documents, you can say, well, I've got my confirmation. You know, it's administrative adventure in the technology, but you still did what you needed to do and that'll insulate you from a cost order. 
Agreed. So I mean, like, I think you, the, the best advice is do everything you were doing before and case lines and make sure you're, you're behind this cover. But I'm saying I, I love it. I think some judges love it and use it. And it's fantastic when they have. And other times I've done extra work prepared to make sure I can use it. And the judge is like, no, no, no I, I don't have no access to case lines. I haven't looked at it. So uh, they're not even using it sometimes. Okay. Just hold your comments on the uh, Divorce Act for a second. Let's run our final poll, and then I'm going to get back, right back to you, Jason. So our final poll, in your experience, what percentage of cases settle at the case conference stage? So take a minute or so, Jason, and wrap up on the Divorce Act. Well, I think the only you have a minute. Well, I can do it in a minute. Um, okay. You know, major changes, um, there was a win-lose idea of custody and access. They changed the terminology in there. Um, you know, that's uh, no longer custody. It's uh, decision-making responsibility, no longer access. It's called parenting time. I agree with those terms, in my opinion. I think that there was a win-lose idea, and people would feel that custody was a four-letter word, even though it wasn't. Well, sole custody was. But in any event, um, another major change is ADR first, an idea that Talk, figure things out. Don't come right into court. We're not here to solve all your problems. Um, find another way to resolve them, probably more healthy, more therapeutic way than a courtroom. A courtroom is very sterile. You're not going to get a judge um, thinking about um, everyone in the uh, in the equation. Um, do you want me to keep going, or do you want to talk about your poll results there, Russ? Okay. Uh, no, that's great. But we do have a, a multi-part series on Divorce Act changes if you want to learn more. Uh, on recording in a six-part series on our podcast. So looks like more more cases than less do not settle at the case conference stage, which I think is consistent with my experience. We've got a petition that over 1,200 lawyers have signed saying that all hearings should be presumptively remote. And uh, so I think there's a significant part of the family bar that do not agree with these presumptions. will be a link to the petition in the show notes if you want to learn more. We've also had a live press conference talking about the petition results and some of the objections we've had. That recording is going to be made available in the show notes. We're going to be conducting a town hall on July 27th to talk about this particular issue. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for your time today, Rick. Those were really excellent insights. Thank you very much, Russ. Thank you. Thank you. And great job hosting as always. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Have a great day, everyone. I, I'm looking forward to your playlist for the next uh, the next live event. Taking audience requests. Send me your requests, everyone. You can find <laughs> Shannon online at DJ Shannarama. <laughs> Need to work on my website. <laughs> great. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.